Within a month, ere yet the salt of most unrighteous tears had left the flushing in her galled eyes, she married, O oh, most wicked speed, to post with such dexterity to incestuous sheets. It is not, nor it cannot, come to good. But break my heart, for I must hold my tongue. Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. Today we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 1, It Is Not, Nor It Cannot Come to Good. In the Season 2 premiere, Cyrus, now king, tries to step out from Simon's shadow. Liam seeks to avenge the deaths of his father and his brother with Jasper's help. Helena and Cyrus let Eleanor and Liam back into the palace for the good publicity they bring. And anarchist Moorfield woos Penelope and Maribel. You all just heard me successfully chew through that amazingly long mm-hmm. quote of a title. Yeah. Um, it could have so easily been shortened. I just want to throw that out there. No, they like this it season cannot come more to than last. They like their super, super long titles. So we'll have plenty more. Um, yes. Welcome. I'm doing like hand gestures. Mm-hmm. No one can see. This is a podcast. But dear listeners, I'm very excited. Welcome to season two, episode one, not just of the Royals, but of Stage of Fools. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, I mean, season Hooray. two, episode one dot five of Stage of Fools. Oh, because. right. I forgot. Uh, oh, so we had recorded this episode previously before and my half is fine. <laughs> Yeah, my app is not. Um, <laughs> it is a long blank. It's like the the flat line on an LCD machine. My recording. There is no audio whatsoever. Uh, yeah, audio. Audacity. Audacity decided to eat my file. So, if you've ever podcasted before, you're familiar with this situation. Audacity can be a tricky little bitch, but we're getting through it. We're excited to, you know. Uh, share our thoughts uh, on this episode all the same. We took a lot of notes. We have a lot of great thoughts. Uh, but I, what I was going to say was just looking ahead uh, to the rest of season two, I feel like the show is using the Hamlet text more, but the Hamlet plot much less. Far less, yeah. In part because I think certain important characters left the show uh, that were previously metaphors. There is for, that. We'll talk about all the character uh, farewells, unceremonious farewells, as we sort of burn through this episode. But there are a number of people who, uh, to varying degrees of success, are gone. It almost is like on another show they would have invented invented excuses why they all died. Yeah. Because their departures are like that. Abrupt. Like, abrupt. Yeah, totally. Explained in one line. There's a, there's a term for the trope. It's called dropping a bridge on him, I think. Where a character, I don't know, I think it comes from Star Trek, but like a character just dies off screen and they're never seen again because the actor left and yeah, so you can all look that up on tvtropes.com and waste an afternoon. Yeah, you can research it because we're not going to. Right. Uh, no research. Yeah, that's our, that's our unofficial slogan. All right, so this episode was a crisp 42 minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited yeah. about that. 
Uh, if you haven't been watching along, you don't know. But if you have been watching along, then you know all too well that a lot of times in season one, episodes could run quite long, mm-hmm. quite long. And you feel every minute in some of these episodes, guys. Some executive at E! this season was just like, we're done with that shit. We got to get more room for the Kardashians. Pacing is everything. Yeah, you got to leave them wanting more. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm all for that. So we're going to do our best. Um, first of all, we're going to do our best not to talk about the last time we recorded and it was mm-hmm. lost. But we're also going to do the best to explain the intro to you. And I'll make an exception to that first part here. The first time we recorded this episode, we struggled to lay out the timeline of the beginning of this episode in terms of when certain events it's- happen. But that's because we don't know either. And this isn't even a no research Mm -hmm. uh, issue. It's like a season four of Arrested Development situation where everyone's in different places doing different things. And the timeline is very cut up. And it's very in media array. So uh, we're struggling. In terms of the internal internal plot line, like... It's so the first note I even took is how much later is this? Someone later revealed it was two months later, but that doesn't really jive with the fact that Prudence is exactly as pregnant as she was at the end of season one when she was watching the newscast about Cyrus becoming king. So even the show doesn't really have any concept of time is a very fluid notion in this universe. Yeah. I mean, the first season took place over... Either how long? Either a few months, either a few weeks or six months. I think like it's some some somewhere but, in there. But Prudence I is like seven months pregnant by the end. No, no, but by here's the thing with Prudence being as pregnant as she is at the end of season one. We have to talk about this because it, it's hilarious. In season one, by the time we hit the masked ball monaco mm-hmm. happens the day after the masked ball and right. from there the episodes pretty much fall within a day or they'll say it was like a week or two weeks of each other but they they give a very clear time frame and it's happening very very fast so when did prudence get as I pregnant as she no. is and that's what i thing. want to know keep in mind moving forward listeners um this is not a great great this is not a big spoiler but the first two seasons must take place in the span of a total of about nine months, uh, based, again, on Prudence as our sort of linchpin for this timeline. Nine months and already two members of the royal family are dead. dead. And this second season, it has to take place. Assassinated. Maybe max, this second season has to take place over a month or two, the, entire of, the entirety of it, because Prudence is already pretty pregnant. So I do not know. We are lost. Mark Schwann has no regard for the rules of time and space. No, and we already know that the show has no regard for the laws of how human bodies and biology work. No. Or anything works. No. Or anything. Absolutely. We have already uh, wasted enough time just pondering the mystery of our existence, Mm -hmm. though. We should dive right in. Okay. Um, So we're going to keep going back to this polo match. The show starts with a polo match. Cyrus and Helena and Eleanor are there, all dolled up in their, you know, fancy attire, Mm -hmm. sunglasses. Mm -hmm. Liam is playing polo out on the field because that's the sort of thing. That's the exact sort of thing that he does and exists to do. And uh, Eleanor picks up her phone and tweets right away, Zach's favorite thing in the world. FML, 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 and on and on and on. 
And uh, Rachel is sitting right behind her and changed it to LOL, 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 LOL over and over again. Yes. And Eleanor sort of rolls her eyes. A callback to the fact in the first season, Rachel was assigned to be Eleanor's like Twitter filter, I guess you would call Basically, it. Basically, at first I thought it was an algorithm. Now I realize it's Rachel it's personally. Really, you can which see is her really typing LOL, LOL, Yeah. I thought it was some sort of program at first, but now I know the truth. Yeah. Um, so we learned through a bit of conversation between Cyrus and Helena about how, oh, are you, are you really still in mourning? It's been two months. Like, okay, right. we now so know it's, it's been, been two, two months. months. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thanks so for the exposition. The problem with this scene starts right here, which is that they oh, have no. to cover the... We're barely into it. They have to cover the past two months of events... Within the context of this polo match scene, which they do to varying success, but mostly the first 15 minutes takes place mostly at this polo match interspersed with flashbacks. Some of them are clearly flashbacks and some are confusing <laughs> as hell. One in to say that some are clear is an incredibly generous thing, yeah. can I just say? Well, the first one, I believe, happens relatively quickly and um, they like cut to a shot of Elena, Helena and there's like... Sort of a, a sound effect and a white light for the flashback. So that indicates to you, okay, this is a flashback. And they cut to Rachel over the prime minister in like a dominatrix outfit. And he's wearing like dominatrix gear too. I didn't know this part was a flashback at first. Yeah. I thought they were just cutting to a different location, which now I realize makes no sense because Rachel's in both. But still, it's not clearly marked. And in fact, Helena is in both because while they're doing their dominatrix thing, Helena enters the room and the prime minister looks up at her all embarrassed like. So now we know that she has because... sexual dirt on the prime <sighs> minister. There is sexual blackmail once again entering before I think the royals title card yeah. into the episode. But this time it's not someone being blackmailed for sex. It's sex being used as blackmail, which is I guess Yeah, we don't better. need to go into super great detail so, just because it's that. not particularly important or interesting but uh basically the pm and rachel are having your sort of like run-of-the-mill dominant submissive sex you know there's like leather mm -hmm. stuff and like a gag and animal ears right. and a crop you uh -huh. know like if you exactly had, what you would expect right if you told like a random person on the street like hey come up with a scene where dominatrix stuff is going on this would be exactly what they what they come up with Pretty much, right down to the clientele. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to say, in the polo scene, Cyrus is wearing a purple suit and these very unusual sort of steampunky sunglasses. Mm -hmm. Punky, that is. And he looks amazing. Ugh. Right. What a fox. Yeah, and we cut back, and Cyrus receives something I'm sure he's been looking forward to fervently. A stack of money with his face on it. Uh, because obviously these are hugely symbolic yeah they use these so much during this season it's like a motif uh and he immediately begins sort of like uh making it rain on the gathered peasants and rabble below except they're all fellow rich people. they are all fellow rich people i don't think there's any poor people what rabbles at a polo match i don't know but um they seem very eager to take this money uh as I though mean, they are still money yeah um, <laughs> so they are peasants and Eleanor says cuts them down real quick and is like you know the last king didn't have to buy their approval 
And it looks like it cuts Cyrus to the quick. Yeah, he shows more reaction to this than almost anything anyone says ever, including, like, calling him a monster, basically. But he seems genuinely affected by this. I mean, it's the whole, you know, Mufasa, 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 whoo thing. It's totally... it reads like straight out of the Lion King. Sure. Like Yes. And I believe <laughs> it makes me miss Mufasa, but like Eleanor is Zazu. We cut then to the title card, and here's the problem. When we cut back from the title card, we don't get the flashback like light. <laughs> we don't get the flashback sound, and we cut to an entirely new scene of Cyrus looking at like a swan. But this is still this is a flashback. I can't deal with this. This is also a flashback. But they don't make it clear in any capacity that it's a flashback. No, no, not at all. So, so somebody brings Cyrus a swan to look at because apparently the reigning monarch can eat, uh, is the only person who can eat a swan in the country. Yeah, thanks to our producer slash resident British person. It's not that they're the only one who can eat a swan, it's that they... The monarch technically owns all of the swans right. in England. The show doesn't actually make that clear. They just say that the reigning monarch can eat swans. No, I had no idea. Still, Darren told me, and he's so sweet. He's like, I know you hate research, but here's this incredibly interesting fact. Uh, and I'm like, wait, what if we do need to be doing research? No, Darren will do it all for us. Yeah, he's Yay. British. He's our resident British encyclopedia. <laughs> we'll just I love it. feed us these facts uh, if they're relevant. Um, this scene is... Despite the fact that it's weird because it, it's a flashback but you don't know, is kind of great. Um, Helena comes in and they talk about how the twins are being a nuisance for uh, the crown. Yeah. Uh, Helena shows Cyrus a video from Dethroned that's Eleanor, like, talking shit about the monarchy. You know it's Eleanor, <laughs> so she's, like, walking along with, like, a crowd of party people, all cool. Club, yep. Yeah, saying she's going to throw a party at the exact same time as their traditional garden party that everyone will go to, which is pretty much her exact strategy from the fashion show episode last year. Right, right. And it hasn't been that long since the fashion show, and there were plenty of people at both events. Like, there's not a shortage of guests for the royal events. That's never really been an issue, as far as I know. Only just occurred to me, but last season featured a garden party as well. But that definitely... Oh, I... Def- oh, it hasn't been a year. It has not been You're a year. Right. There's no way it's been a year. You're right, but they say like it's an. They make it out like it's an, an annual, annual event. Tradition. Yeah. I was thinking like, oh, last year this was the year that Ophelia and Gemma had a drinking contest, but that. Oh my God! This is blowing so, my mind. Another inconsistency. The Royal universe makes no somebody sense. run to IMDb and put that one in the goofs section real quick because they 100 percent talk about it as if it's an annual they event, do, like the garden party, yes, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely, yeah. I think they use the word annual. Um, but wow. So Cyrus, Cyrus <laughs> determines he's going to have to straighten these kids out, and I'm going to let Shannon explain the next occurrence in the episode so cyrus and helen are having this conversation and they basically decide that they're going to reinstate liam and elnora's prince and princess and bring them back inside the palace because it'll be good publicity and it's like keep your enemies closer type thing you know like they want to be able to keep an eye on them then there's no other way to say it than just say it cyrus crosses the room to a giant gong that we've (laughs) never seen before it's easily as tall as his chest Uh uh-huh 
bangs the gong once with the nearby large mallet. And Liam and Eleanor immediately enter from a door as if they had just been... If they had... if they've been summoned, summoned by magic, they just appear right. and they're bored. They don't even care yeah, that they were just I'd brought there by a gong. Almost sheepish, like like they're they know they're I about they're to get kind of resentful too. You know, yelled at, and they just kind of sheepishly enter the room. But they, it's it the way it's filmed. It's like they were already in the room behind the corner waiting for yeah. Cyrus to give them this sign, like this signal, like okay, now you may enter, like. Like, it's not just that they come from in a door. They also come around from behind a screen, like on a fancy oriental screen. So it's just very, very, very funny. I've been thinking. I mean, about, I've never seen anything like this in my life right. on a show. No, it's weird. It's great, but it's weird. And it's almost like I've been thinking about this. Like, I know Cyrus has a little cage he keeps in his room, and it's almost like they were in Cyrus's it's a sex little cage. cage. His case. No! That's the worst. Uh, uh, oh no, you don't want to know the last and the sex cage was cleaned. No, that's true. That Probably. thing is alarming. I actually found that they do a gag with the sex cage later on in the season. I did not find that funny. Yeah. It was just too a little too a little too weird and like played for laughs I when think... someone is in like legitimate peril. Right. I don't think any actual sex happens in that scene thankfully, but we'll we'll talk about that later. Um, no, but it's sexual. Yeah. You know what the cave is for, or the cage is for. Um, <laughs> you know what the cave is for, too. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Um, All right. Uh, Eleanor kisses Cyrus's ring mm-hmm. and, like, curtsies, kneels before him. And Liam, of course, is like, well, how could you? What are you doing? And she's like, we need to be here at the palace yeah. so we can figure out what's going yeah, on. And she's 100% right. Take it down from the inside. They have this conversation mm-hmm. in front of a portrait of Simon that gets a lot of play. They must have. It gets a lot of mileage. Yeah, definitely. They got their, their money's worth on that portrait. It's in like. Have you ever seen Strangers with Candy? I have, yeah. Her dad, who's like a frozen corpse. Right. Okay, yes. That's basically what the Simon portrait functions as in this season of The yeah, Royals. It's a glooming reminder, yeah. Um, yeah, not only in, I guess in the entire season. In this episode alone, it's in like three or four scenes. It's crazy. There's an ADR line as they exit from talking with Cyrus, <laughs> where it's clearly ADR. Like, if you listen to it, it's like different tones. Cyrus was talking, and then you can hear, like, it's recorded somewhere else. Or the it's audio... like Jake Mascal on the phone. Yeah, it's like, totally see different. See with the polo match. Like a talking cat, Eric Roberts. <laughs> Shout out to Darren's, Eric Roberts on his bathroom floor. <laughs> Darren's previous endeavor, a talking cast. Um, but it's a clearly ADR line where Cyrus says, see you at the polo match. And that's how they let us know it's a flashback, like, three or four minutes into the scene. And I have a pet theory that this scene was originally going to be the first scene in the episode, like, before the Royals title card, and then they were going to do the polo match. But, like, maybe it didn't play, or the scene was kind of weird or oddly formed, because it's very goofy and then very dramatic after they make the deal. So it's, like, tonally weird. But for whatever reason... That's how they let us know this is a flashback, and that's why we had so much trouble the first time we gave this a go. Yeah, all we can do is guess, but I think that you're probably right. Mm. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I didn't pick up on it the first time I watched. way longer than any other flashback sequences, which are all like 30 seconds long, except this one, which is like three or four minutes long. 
So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Mark. No, Sean. I think you're right. I think you're right. It, it doesn't really, nothing really makes sense. Speaking of things that don't make sense and are breaking my heart, mm-hmm. back to the polo match. Yes. Helena is talking to some rich random who's uh-huh. like, mm-hmm, I heard that Gemma Kensington's fiance did something. And I'm like, Gemma Kensington? She has a last name? <laughs> he invented an app that removes naked selfies from the cloud. So I'm sure Gemma could get a lot of mileage out of that. Yes. So you know what? More power to mm. her. But this rich guy's like, Oh, I thought she was supposed to be marrying your son. And Helen is like, well, you lose the title of prince. You or you lose the title of heir. You lose the girl, which is really insulting to Liam and arguably not true. But whatever. Um, Uh, So so this is the last of Gemma, as far as we know. That's why I wanted to pull this line out. This this next sequence of events, this guy who she's talking to, we've never seen him before. We will never see him again. Uh, He's just there, so this exposition can happen real quick. And then she immediately turns around to another guy we've never seen before. A yellow tie. Mr. Yellow Tie Exposition is what I've dubbed him. Uh, His name is Something Crenshaw, and he is a, quote, media mogul. Mm. (laughs) According to Helena herself, she says that at one point. Right. But he really just seems like a gossip columnist. Right. He's just asking her. He doesn't even ask her questions. He tells her what's going on with her and happens to all be correct he's like so you and cyrus schemed to get to the top and you have disowned your children and they're dealing with this and cyrus's daughters right. are idiots etc and helen is like his daughters are even stupider than you can imagine but other than that it's all false but basically he just summarized the first right, season right. for everyone he goes yeah. by like an itemized list of every character that he gives a quick update and like this is what this character is doing real quick and just so the audience won't be lost, but it's the most shameless exposition scene maybe I've ever seen in my life. It's a walk and talk. It's an Aaron Sorkin walk and talk. They are walking around this fenced in pony pen and just like he's yeah. summarizing things. I don't know that we should waste any more time talking about it right. because it doesn't advance the plot no, at all. No, no, it doesn't. There's another flashback. Liam goes to Gibraltar and oh, Lucius right. is also there. Lucius, because we see him like... Liam is talking to some doctor being like... The doctor from the I first... there was... The doctor from the first I, season that Cyrus exiled. Yeah, yeah. And the doc, he's like, I suspect there was foul play. And the doctor's like, I'm not crooked, but there was no foul play. But there's no way I'm corrupt. Okay, bye. That's all I can tell you. And we just see that Lucius is there, you know, like being menacing behind a curtain. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. He That's just confirmed. He just said, tells Liam, no, the paternity test was not faked. That's the point of that scene. Um, but at the polo match, uh, another character returns. Standing on the opposite side of the field is Jasper, just staring, like, directly, directly and obviously at Eleanor, uh, who responds by getting out of her booth and walking directly through the field of the currently active polo match, causing all of the players on horseback to have to suddenly stop to not uh, not trample her to death, I guess. I actually think Liam's polo partner, Genevieve, is solely to thank to keep Liam from literally murdering his own sister with a mallet. Right. But uh, Eleanor owns it. She walks with confidence. Um, I mean, come on. Yeah. It's Eleanor. Yeah. She's wearing the most ridiculous outfit. Her skirt is like a high-low hem made out of Elmo skin. 
mm-hmm. and with like some cage bra y top. And then Jasper's across the field wearing fucking Rebel Without a Cause drag, like mm-hmm. white t shirt and jeans with this powder blue leather, like moto jacket and yeah. wayfarers. And it's just so, oh my gosh. It's just, I mean, it's just funny. He's so frowny. I've never seen the guy smile unless he's like smirking at someone else's downfall. These two are just like glowering. And spitting in each other's faces, but okay, this is what the show wants us to follow, so Eleanor, follow it we shall. Eleanor asks him why he is stalking her, a reasonable question. She doesn't even realize that he's been stalking her around the world, around the world, right. as we find out later right. in the episode. Uh, um, yeah, she's been going to different places all over Europe, and he has apparently been following her through all of these Theoretically, as an unemployed man, at great personal cost, um, I guess he was buying a lot of plane tickets just to follow her around uh, under the auspice of keeping her safe. But let, nah, I mean, I think that's debatable. He would just punch out the entire TSA to get through security, then punch probably. out every single um, prob- you know flight attendant on the way to the airplane. And probably the pilot and just fly the plane himself because Jasper is... A spy who has random great spy skills. Everyone is James Bond this season. Right. Everyone. Right. And that'll become apparent pretty soon. Um, And he's like, what's it going to take for you to forgive me? Uh, Which I would say a lot. I would say don't. I would say forgiveness isn't necessary in every situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They do, both in this conversation and in later conversations about their relationship, uh, elect to completely stop talking about the sexual blackmail aspect of it like that's never mentioned i think again for the rest of the season yeah i want to talk about this i think that the show as soon as it did it kind of realized that it was a mistake mm-hmm. pretty much since the masked ball they've been backpedaling right yeah so um i will never forget that it happened right i think from here on out unfortunately we sort of have to disregard it because the show definitely wants to disregard it so yeah, yeah it, it is swept right under the rug um, and when Eleanor will talk later about the things Jasper has done that has wronged her, they always act like the cardinal sin was sleeping with Helena, which was bad, but not as bad as raping you and filming it or even just saying that you did. Yes. And then using that to have sex with you again. So for sure, 100% at some point there was a, a rape that occurred. Jasper uses the word relationship constantly. Like right. so many times in this episode and just throughout, he's like, we had a relationship. We had a complicated relationship. Our relationship matters to me, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, when did you guys have a relationship? You went straight from like hate sex to sad sex to no sex. So right. yeah, it's unclear to me. So after the game, uh, Eleanor meets the meets meets up with some polo player who's just standing around and some decides needy to have, hot guy yeah and like draws him into the stables where they have sex i think the implication is that maybe she's getting overseeing jasper or like is an um in an emotional place from seeing Jasper, I guess. I'm not sure. It's very unclear. I think, you know, it's that she uses sex like she uses her other drugs to kind of numb her feelings. Or that she's maybe trying to make him jealous, but she never really brings it up to Jasper. No, she doesn't. It's kind of just like, 
whatever. It's just sort of a weird and unpleasant button on the scene because like she hurt. She's super not into it. So it's just like fine. Fine. God, this show, I can count so few times when there has been pleasant, consensual sex on the show. Right. Where it's not like someone destroying someone else's life on purpose. Right. And I think or yeah. One of the benefits of the second season is that they really do, I think they push a lot of the the grotesque sexual politics to the side more than the first season did. In between all of his flying to different countries and following Eleanor around, apparently Jasper became best bros with Liam because Liam is informed that Holloway, who is Cyrus's alibi, is also at the polo after party. Yes, and uh, one other person who is there who I just want to mention briefly because she'll come... Up quite a bit later on in the season, we meet Genevieve, not by name, but she's the girl that Liam was playing polo with, mm-hmm. and she hands him this plate with desserts on it and starts adding more and more desserts while they're having their conversation, and it makes it seem like she's like making a plate for him, but then she takes the plate full of desserts that she made him hold and walks away with it, and I just, like, I was like... I got to remember that. That is an A-plus move. The dessert, make the, someone else hold your dessert plate. Beautiful. That was great. So I don't know that she ever necessarily, Genevieve never really tops that moment in terms of likability. No, but she started it, strong. Yeah. yeah, she's off on the right foot. Um, yeah, uh, but Holloway is there. That's right. the thing that's more intrinsic to the plot at this point. And Liam wants to talk to him, but Holloway has these two beefy security guard guys with him, and he's not. Yeah, like. Him. There are extras from, like, a movie about the the Russian mob, basically, mm-hmm. uh, that just hang around Holloway. So, obviously, he can't do anything about these guys. So, uh, Holloway and his bodyguards go into the next hallway, and there are generic scuffle sounds. Uh, <laughs> the most generic. It sounds like a Three Stooges sketch, like, background noises. Mm-hmm. Um, and Liam peeks into the door to see what hap- what is happening. And Jasper is there with, like, both the huge beefy dudes, like, knocked out on the ground. And he's got Holloway ready on a platter, I guess you could say, for Liam to interrogate. Uh, Jasper is just really good at punching everything, as it was established last season. Although I contend that his punches from last season were more of sucker punch situations. Like, Liam was literally buckled into a car when Jasper punched him in the face. And And had just been in an accident. The Olympian who was being rude about Eleanor was standing right next to him, leaning in for a selfie when Jasper just lifted up his fist and punched him in the face. So, yeah. uh, but now he can pretty much just be as good of an assassin as he needs to be at any given right. moment. Yes. Not to he mention can, like a super smart super spy. He can knock anybody out with a single punch. He's like Muhammad Ali level of skills, I guess, apparently. We cut to a not flashback, I think. I don't think this is a flashback, but I am also not 100%. Still at the still at the polo match, Helena talks to the anti-abolition, the anti-monarchy guy. Um, Moorfield. Moorfield, that's his name. Right, right, right. Uh, in a very, very posh, like uh, upscale, kind of pretentious conversation. Where... For listeners who don't watch, this guy is the one I described as looking like uh, David Tennant circa his Barty Crouch Jr. face. Right, right. It's a very weaselly version of David, David Tennant. Helena informs him that he has fallen in love, that he is, quote, enamored, vexed, positively besotted by somebody. And he asks, quote, 
who so brazenly captured my desire? Because uh. they have to have this faux upper upscale like conversation because Helena I mean they're both the worst they're they both the worst I don't they like are. Moorfield at all and I actually kind of wish he would not be in the story <laughs> unless he like starts making some major political moves like I think even by the end of this episode the importance of this plot is greatly negated but um uh I guess we 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 kind of decided that probably it's because Helena wants to appear as that very posh upper crust classy kind of person and this Moorfield guy we get the idea that maybe he hates the monarchy because he wants to be a royal so badly the show posits that's why everyone hates the royals right because right. that's the pretty much the deal with uh the deputy prime minister who right, yeah. uh will come up in importance in the plot later this season in a big way also kind of uh, the show has Helena say like, well, you just really want to be queen. Yes. And they kind of play like that's the truth. So I think in the show's world, like the it's... monarchy's main problem is that everyone is so jealous of them. Her plan is that this guy is going to get set up with Penelope, not or, but and Maribel, I guess. I don't understand this plot, so I can't speak to the machinations behind it. I can only speak to what I see on screen, which is disgusting. Right. Uh, when Moorfield walks in on Penelope, she's just like feeling, or not, this is when Moorfield comes in and sees her, but we cut to Penelope and she's just like feeling up this Greco-Roman statue right. that doesn't have any limbs, but she's yes. just like Groping, rubbing its torso say. and complaining about Maribel, who apparently has had some sort of health problems and needs constant looking after, but we don't really mm -hmm. know what the details are yet um yeah but she's just yeah. rubbing this statue and like monologuing she gets that from her dad the monologuing mm -hmm. gene yeah um and uh Penel maribel maribel's a, the one who had the this operation surgery right? yeah. yeah so maribel rings a little bell uh, while Penelope is uh, lamenting the fact that she can't be at the polo match because she has to take care of her sister and we get Which, why? Don't you have servants? I don't know. But they can't Not to sound like I'm Penelope. a rich, snobby person, but come on, they're the heirs to the throne now because their dad is king. They couldn't get a single I'm, lousy nurse to look after her? I've said this before, but I'm not even sure they have a room in the palace 100%. No, now they definitely do. They have their, they have their rooms that we see them in this okay. season that they're they definitely do not, theirs. They do not get Eleanor or Liam's rooms. Uh, they definitely no. get to hold on to their rooms, even though they're no longer royals. Um, but... Uh, we see Maribel's bandaged hands reaching for, like, whatever, it's some orange juice or something, and it is terrifying. It's kind of unsettling. It's like... Good night, Mommy. She looks yeah. like good night, Mommy. She has she, bandages all over her face. It's, it's we both really, said it right away. Yeah, we did. It's very off-putting. It is, I think, in both of our notes, but, oh, man. Yeah. And um, that's just exactly what she looks like. It's not even an exaggeration, except her red hair is sticking out from underneath right. the bandages. But, right. but I mean, let's just say it now because the the character has undergone plastic surgery, right. which is a neat way of 
the show hiding, barely hiding, no. that the role has been recast with right. a different actress who looks completely different Entirely and is different. very different, mm-hmm. has a different voice. The show even says, like, oh, you had that voice surgery, so mm-hmm. right now you can't talk. And it's you like, know, oh, good grief. The voice this is a bit much. that people get sometimes. There's more explanation for Maribel's surgery than there is for the surgery in Face Off. Meanwhile, Liam is interrogating Holloway with Jasper. Trying to get him to confess that he was not with Cyrus the night of Simon's stabbing. And in order to get this information out of him, Liam's pretty much first move, I feel like, is to just point a gun at his head and asks him to tell him that he was not with Cyrus uh, on the night in question. Which, to its... To, I mean, it works. It's effective. Sure, it's effective. I I mean, I imagine pressing a gun to someone's head is usually effective, but he's still supposed to be like the benevolent crown prince of England. And also Simon would never do that. So, come on. Right, that's true. So, yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, well, he's that's, on full. Uh, <laughs> this is vengeance mode Liam, who vacillates wildly between vengeance mode and just like, oh, I have to get other aspects of my life in order. I guess that part is kind of true to Hamlet, that he kind of just forgets about his his quest for vengeance occasionally. I think he's actually quite single-minded in terms of that, except that when he's thinking about, well, maybe it would, it's not even worth it, maybe I should just kill myself. Mm. No, <laughs> because true. he gives up everything else in his life, his girlfriend, his school, and his friends. He has his friends executed for spying on him. Well, Hamlet. yes, that's true. I mean, well, he takes his time with his quest, let's say. Um, but uh, He gets I'm, a theater troupe to write an original play about his quest right. for vengeance very and perform con- it as a part convoluted. of his quest for vengeance. Right. It's a very uh, convoluted, slow-moving plan. But uh, I guess we shouldn't talk too much about Hamlet. Um, uh, can we, this just be a Hamlet show now, please? Jasper uh, breaks out a couple of terrible jokes. He tells Holloway that uh, he offers Holloway the claim ticket for his bodyguard. Awful. And <sighs> then he describes himself later as Eleanor's body guardian angel. Oh, not good. Which is a tagline that the show used for promotional material of Jasper with wings drawn on him. So, Meanwhile, Eleanor is leaving the stables from her uh, liaison with that random dude. Rendezvous. Yeah. And uh, passes Helena... Uh, who sometimes just brushing a pony? Yeah, like basically Eleanor is slightly adjusting her dress, and I guess Helena assumes that means she just had random sex in the stables. With anyone else, you'd be like, "That's crazy! Everyone needs to adjust their skirt." But since it's Eleanor, it's kind of like, well, maybe right. Well, <laughs> not to be unkind um, wow. or to seem like I'm judging her for that because obviously if it made her happy I would be like this is such an empowered character but she's miserable every time oh, yeah. she has sex with one of these guys so that's all there is to it uh, of course Helena only invokes the memories of Robert and Simon to torment her children especially her daughter Eleanor so she says your father would be endlessly disappointed in you and uh Eleanor Eleanor responds fairly, like, who is my father? How would he feel about it? Yeah, yeah. The exact line is, why don't you tell me who my father is and we'll see about that. Which I know not only because I wrote it down, but also because it was used endlessly in Comcast's promos for this show. I saw it a million times, I swear to God, while I was looking for whatever, Brooklyn Nine-Nine or or something. 
But something good. Yes, something that is not the Royals, which... Uh, so I wanted to say briefly, as Eleanor's walking away, she says, try not to let the horse fall on you. And I wasn't sure if that was just like a random funny insult because it's not actually that big of a horse. Or if it was a reference to oh, right. uh, Queen Catherine, a.k.a. Catherine the Great of Russia, who, according to an urban legend, which is not actually true, was so sexually voracious that she would have sex with horses. She would have them, like, lowered down onto her via crane, basically. And then one of them fell on her and crushed her, and that was how she died. Again, not true, but I thought it might be a burn from Eleanor, who is smarter than she lets on, and also because she makes a lot of her mother's, you know, sex- se- sexual appetite and um, sexuality. So it's possible. I'd whatever it was, a, that li- I thought chance. that line was funny. Yeah, there's, there's a, chance. a chance. I could be reading too much into it. It's in- it's an it's interesting possible. story, though. Either way, just a little historical tidbit. Yeah, we're trying to educate you slightly through this. Through this Royals podcast uh, we about do Hamlet we and the history of Catherine the Great, but uh, uh, so then we have Penelope on the throne, just mm-hmm. like talking about how great it's going to be when, when she her, when is, her father and sister die. When she well, no, Penelope is next in line. She's oh, older right. than Maribel. Oh, okay. Talking about how great it's going to be when she's queen, et cetera, et cetera. And Moorfield comes in with flowers and uh, mm-hmm. you know sweet talks her a bit. Very yeah. courtly love type stuff. To which Nothing she responds too... wistfully, it's so forbidden, which is a nice little <laughs> moment, I guess. She's very funny. I mean, I'm glad at least one of the twins, the original twins, stuck around yeah. because the new Maribel really, really isn't the same. No, she's not. Uh, and, but, yeah. Unfortunately, their chemistry is lost, uh, but what can you do about that? Oh, well, I hope that that other actress went on to bigger and better things in England, which is what I seriously suspect to be the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then Liam finds Eleanor and tells her that he has been, you know, working with Jasper and Eleanor doesn't do what I would do, which is go, Hey, dear brother who I'm very close with, um, you support me. You don't want to work with him because he raped me and blackmailed me and said, she's like, no, he's a bad guy. He mm-hmm. does not slept. divulge. No, she doesn't even say that. She doesn't no. even say that he slept with their mom. No, no, no. Doesn't oh, say. Yeah. Eleanor, come yeah. on, girl. This is also a noteworthy <laughs> moment because um, it is another quick former cast member goodbye thrown casually aside when uh, I think Liam tells Eleanor that quote Sometimes I wish Marcus was still here. Well. There you go. That's it for Marcus. That's a wrap on Marcus. They reveal later that he's missing. He's actually missing. Oh, do the last time we saw him, Helena was sending him on a secret mission, and we haven't seen him since. So he's still technically on that secret mission to find out who killed Robert. I feel like he gave up. I feel like he got out. I feel like he was like, fuck this mission. I have had enough of this bullshit. Oh, Marcus, the character? Because I'm like, we know the actor is on another show. I mean, I mean the character. I mean the character um, who is too good I for was, all of these people. Yeah. What I thought you were going to say was Liam tells Eleanor about the domino necklace and oh, the domino right. symbol. Right. Yeah, that too. Um, our <laughs> Which, continued mystery. Ugh, there's so much domino this season, and I still feel like every episode they were making it up as they went along. I think that's a fair assessment. The reveals are unsatisfying, I'm going to say, in some cases, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little down the line. There's actually a really nice little moment after Liam leaves where I kind of like it. I think it's a little well shot 
bit of business mm. where Eleanor gets high and lays in the middle of the throne room and looks at the fresco on the ceiling. And uh, I don't know, there's some some music bedded underneath, but it's short, but but really kind of well shot. I feel like I liked that little moment. Yeah. Alexandra Park, who plays Eleanor, is a really great actress and her face is very expressive. So you know, it's a good little scene to watch. It has that same tiled floor that Liam ran across in the first and final episodes of the first season. And uh, the mural that she's looking up at on the ceiling, um, I think what she's looking at specifically is there's a figure who's like a queen or a princess. So perhaps there's something kind of symbolic there. And another thing that I liked, the music in this scene was instrumental. So there wasn't the mm. on-the-nose lyrics like you usually have, like shouting like, Loyalty is everything, so don't betray your family, you know, while someone is stabbing a family member yeah. in the back or whatever. <laughs> maybe that was a made-up learned... example, but it was barely an exaggeration. No, that's pretty accurate. That's pretty accurate. Uh, maybe they learned from their mistakes, but I feel like they didn't, because I feel like there's definitely still that trend for really obvious music um, throughout this oh, season. Oh, 100%, 100%. Cut to Ted's fancy mystical clock tower apartment. <laughs> Um, it's his office and his home. His living right. room and his main office are well, one room. Like, where Ophelia would stay. kick back and watch stuff on her tablet and drink her dirty ice mm -hmm. chai lattes yeah. with her assorted and boyfriends is the exact same place where he used his main desk yeah. and where he has, like, job interviews and stuff. Well, he has to stay close to the royals because they're in constant danger. But, uh... Apparently Cyrus. so. Two of them have died in about six months or less. Right. So... Relevant, relevant to the following conversation. Uh, Cyrus enters and um, tells him, I believe, to reinstate the detail for Liam and Eleanor, I think is the gist of the conversation. Um, he he uh, asks Ted for some re at some point, have you ever wondered why I kept you on? To which Ted responds, because I'm good at my job. Which is no, a, because I'm good at what I do. Because I'm good at what I do. All right. Bold-faced lie. Oh, my God. But I want to say it's because I'm good at what I do, not just because I'm good at my job, because he's not good at anything he does. He's not good no, at anything true. he does. No, not no. just being the head of security. Anyway, when uh, Ted says, because I'm good at what I do, Cyrus responds, as if. Which, which is like accurate. Yeah, that's fair, honestly. Ted says, because I'm good at what I do without apparently a trace of irony, which is so bizarre to me. How does he not understand that yeah, he's really he's bad at bad. this? Like, yeah. really bad. Yeah, it's probably a record for the fastest two royals have been knocked off, or at least in modern times. Um, it's amazing that Ophelia wasn't killed or kidnapped during the time when her father refused to give her a security mm. detail yeah. during, like, a national crisis. <laughs> He was very against Not to it. mention she was part of an international incident, which involved, like, all sorts of shady dealings and, like, oil yeah. barons and stuff. So I'm sure there were conspiracy okay. theorists who were, like, thinking she was in on the killings and probably, uh, probably wanted her head. After Cyrus leaves, having done what he came there to do, uh, a woman emerges and says, I can't remember what, oh... Something like royalty is not what it used to be or something like that. Yeah. And Ted smirks and like chuckles and then it cuts. And it's like in such a way that it was like the punchline on a sitcom. And as and as Ted smirked, there would be like a laugh track in the background mm -hmm. or like applause. Yeah. So initially there's he no. He responds that if it is the greatest burn of all time. Right. Right. Um, 
There's no context at this point of who this lady is. I guess you're supposed to believe it's somebody he's hooking up with. Um, I knew who it was right away. Yeah. I thought um, they made it really obvious, but that's just my two cents. Well, they play it at the end like it's a big reveal, I think. so. They do, but I also felt like they made it extremely obvious, at least by the next scene. Yeah. Um, well, just get to the next scene really quick. There's a quick scene of Moorfield meeting Maribel, who, again, Mommy Dearest, she's... Very eerie. No, not Mommy Dearest. Good night, Mommy. Good night, Mommy. Mommy Dearest is very Perhaps some shades of Mommy Dearest, but more so her entire face is bandaged. Right, right, right. It's like if Mommy Dearest got a good night, Mommy job, maybe. Totally. Um, Nailed it. mm -hmm. Uh, So then we cut straight back to Ted, I believe. And Liam has some business. Uh, He talks a little more to... to, I'm just going to call her Ghost Woman. Um... Because let's not pretend. Ghost wife? Yeah, ghost wife. Ted's um, ghostly wife. It's Yeah, it's Ted's wife who... Uh, she's so familiar with him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you used to be like this. Things used to do this. I mean, if you've been paying attention at all, you remember that Ted right. had a super dead wife. Their, their conversations are sort of lightly sexual, but also a lot of her prodding at him and bringing up like his past failures... Um, is this the episode where she shows up wearing lingerie, or is that another episode? That might be the end of this episode. Okay. She of- definitely shows up wearing, like, very cliche lingerie at certain points, and it's like, is this supposed to be, like, Ted's, like, frustrated old man sexuality? Uh. Right. But I think the point of this, the rest of the scene, when Liam enters, is um, that... So new viewers, they've had to establish a lot of stuff for new viewers about what was going on with the different characters. And they've just said that Ted is good at what he does. So they have to establish that he's not good at what he does immediately by having Liam enter the room and say, you need to rehire Jasper, which is a terrible idea. It is the worst. If you consider Ted finding out that Jasper was lying and still hiring him a second chance, then this is technically Jasper's third Third chance. chance. Yeah. Uh, Jasper was arrested on kind of on suspicion of stabbing the king, to be honest with you, but it was cleared because I guess they didn't have anything. Um, He was a person of interest. Yeah. I feel like to some degree his con that he's not a British person has to be pretty well known around the palace. Almost everybody knows at this point. But still, he's like, okay, I'll rehire Jasper, a person who, who Eleanor obviously hates, by the way. But Well, no one respects her or cares about her feelings or her no. safety or her bodily well, well-being. So why would that matter? Maybe they'd care about her uh, opinions and feelings if she could just reach her full potential, if only. Um, well, we're about to way dig into that. So let me just hold back my fire for a few more moments because we have Joan Collins to get through first. As Liam is leaving, he stops by the Simon portrait because they got to get their money's worth. And Helena gives him some cufflinks that used to belong to Simon in a rare moment of kindness for her, I guess. It's so hard to tell with her at any given moment whether something she's doing is motivated by genuine affection or she's going to use it as like part of a play later on down the line. Yeah, I don't know. They have some threatening banter about one another real quick. And we cut to... Cyrus eating his his swan that he picked out earlier, hand-picked, by the way. Um, but he says it's a bit stringy and a bit gamey. Yeah. I want to know that the way Simon Sad. elects to eat a full swan <laughs> is by grabbing it by the head, 
and digging his teeth into the neck of the swan like an animal. Yeah, it looked so funny. It was great. And of course, he's wearing one of his velvet jackets and his cravats, too, oh, yeah, so you really need course. the full imagery there, yeah. Yeah, in a like, lightly lit, like, sort of blue, lightly lit room. It's, it's very nice. Um, and Joan Collins, Dutchie, happens upon him eating his swan. Uh, because, and I guess she's, she made a bet with him about the polo match. She bet against Liam's team. Yeah, he calls her Dutchie. Yes. Yeah. That's the, yeah, the I like that. I just want to say it's cute. He called, but hearing Cyrus call her Dutchie was so funny for some reason, especially because he's not blood related to her. No, he's Like not. her, but... the twins are her grandkids, but it's great. Their relationship is hilarious. Everything indicates to me that she is his best friend in this world because they find each other delightful. He's like, oh come... yeah, well they're birds of a feather. Of they're course. swans of a feather. Like he can't suppress a smile anytime she's in the room. It's kind of cute, actually. It's That's a, how I feel. Um, it's a lovely relationship. And uh, and she pulls out the money she's going to pay him, pay him with and delivers this long speech about how some kings like Simon were kind and beloved by the people. And she lays down this bill that has a picture of Simon's face on it. And Cyrus does not like that. Uh, he doesn't say anything, but he doesn't like it. And then she goes on to say... But other great leaders, like Attila the Hun, were feared and ruthless. And he reminds her that she actually owes him 40 pounds. And she puts down another bill on top of the Simon bill that's a Cyrus bill. Very meaningful. These are things like Pokemon cards. Like, if I put it down, it'll have, like, an attack mm-hmm. that it does. Yeah, That's card, the yeah. level of, like, emphasis that they flip these money uh, bills down that with. That's a good idea for money, yeah. I mean, it's stupid to compare Simon and Attila the Hun because one existed in, like, ancient times and the other is a moderate, was the most, the very most recent king, but oh, whatever. I think Cyrus a, loves I think it. She's... He lives for this shit. I think she's uh, comparing Attila Hun to Cyrus. Like, she wants him to be ruthless and cruel as king. Another good Yeah, point... I'm saying it's stupid to hold him up as a paragon of, like, mm-hmm. what a good... And not good in terms of morally good, but good in terms of effective ruler could be. And also, Attila the Hun had genuine power, and Cyrus is largely a figurehead. So, also a key difference. He can't really rule that There's much that. with an iron fist. But... She had those bills ready to go is my favorite part. Like, she knew when she walked into the room what she was going to – she had a game plan to get his spirits yeah. up. It's really nice. Like, she was like mm. – She had to have those bills ordered so that she knew that they were there and that she could fork them over. Yeah, Come on. Like, she planned that just to make him feel better about himself, kind of. Um, Maybe there is more rehearsal going on in this world than we had previously acknowledged. Maybe Liam and uh, Eleanor uh, were waiting outside that door just for the dramatic effect of fucking with their mom, which is always a modus operandi of theirs. They do love fucking with her. That's true. She didn't seem too put off by it. She seemed to expect it. So maybe no, she, I, that's not that's not right. She didn't seem surprised. God, that gong moment. I will never get over mm-hmm. it. I'm going to be talking about that in the season two wrap no, up. I guarantee everybody, you. Everybody acted like that was totally normal. Um, that's what made it my obsession. I want to be a part of this world where people just appear when gongs are rung. 
Yeah. This is Liam and Jasper. The first of many Liam and Jasper broing out scenes this season. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, this is what this show, which is definitely marketed and rightfully so towards young women, this is what this show needed. Some more bromance. Oh, yes. I mm-hmm. so missed watching male characters pal around with each other and talk about how the women in their lives really need a lot of help because they just can't seem to pull it together ever. Right. Well, uh, don't worry. They deliver uh, in spades in this season, primarily through these two who become best chums. Um, James Bond 1 and James Bond 2. Yeah, like one's like James Bond in tra- Liam's James Bond in training, and Jasper is his, uh, his, mas- his sort of Jedi master, I guess. But finally, after... You're giving him way too much credit. Jasper uses the Force in a more literal and less figurative sense, like... After having already got Jasper rehired, he now decides to grill him on what the problem between he and Eleanor was. Think I would have done that in the reverse order, maybe. But okay, Liam's going to be Liam. Um, So he starts (sighs) asking about him following Eleanor around. And he's like, I did it to protect her. I think this is actually where he says body guardian angel. Um, And then... Jasper drops another bombshell about their big uh, kerfuffle. Um, I'm using air quotes relationship uh, because he reveals to Liam that he slept with his mother at some point. And Liam is moderately annoyed by that, I would say. does not respond much. Uh, I mean, he's like grossed out, (laughs) which is fair, but he doesn't seem to acknowledge what like a huge deal that is in the grand scheme of things especially because his mother is sort of a political wild card so you don't really want her getting mixed up on like your top secret mission there i wrote down so many lines during this scene because there were so many lines Mm. that made me very very angry and upset and one line that was perfect so jasper said saying about him and eleanor we had a relationship, sort of. You know what she's like. Like, he puts all the blame for what happened between them on her, mm-hmm. which is so bizarre because, really, I think it was a complete reversal. Like, the worst thing Eleanor ever did was just allow him into her life. Yeah. He was the one who did all the bad stuff. Uh, and then Liam goes very, like, father knows best. You know she has trust issues, which is something <laughs> someone says like every episode. So well, we get it. <laughs> Jasper says he followed her around the world, giving like specific incidents. Like when we were in Argentina, she cried herself to sleep every night. When we were in blah, blah, blah. I'm which not going to give more examples. Really amps up how intense the stalking was if he was watching her fall asleep. <laughs> he was like outside her window. Like this is like I'm imagining the state or the police song, you know, I'll be watching you playing under all of this. Yeah. So it was pretty intense. He did not. Uh, this was not light stalking. It was full blown. Um Oh, yeah. It was – I can't imagine someone stalking more than that. Usually, if you leave the, the state, you can get away from them. But mm-hmm. to have to leave the country and to leave the planet, Eleanor would have had to blast off in a rocket ship to be, get away from him. He probably would have uh, but, found a way. He would have punched funny, his way into NASA. Probably the funniest thing Jasper has ever said. He says, quote, I choked out more male models and drug dealers than Cyrus. Which is Which is bad. great. It kind of makes up for his really bad lines earlier. A little bit. A smidge. Uh, ish. So Cyrus is still eating his swan. Uh, He's still a, working on it. Yeah, it's a big swan. It's a big... It's a. am imagining them bringing out, like, uh, 
you know, tinfoil wrapped leftovers meal after mm-hmm. meal like you do with Thanksgiving turkey, but with swan. Oh, I guarantee when he was done with it, he threw the rest away. This is Cyrus. Um, but a maid dressed in their French maid like sexy outfits. They all, even more so this season, they are all dressed like, you know, like they're wearing maid costumes as opposed yeah. to maid uniforms, shall we right. say. Mm-hmm. Comes out and offers him something or another. And we reveal that it is Prudence. Oh, I have this written down. Cyrus says, what's for dessert? <laughs> and Prudence says, I believe we have a bun in oh, the oven. Right. And turns right. around and her belly is huge and she's super pregnant. Yes, that's right. And then she... So she goes off on him about how he needs this son as, like, a positive publicity son. He can't get the public to like Mm -hmm. him. If you, like, fell in love with a commoner and had this son, that would get everyone to sympathize with you. And you'd have an heir to supplant your daughters. Right, right. Who would be embarrassments to your legacy? Um, Well, they'll be declared um, unfit to rule. And then Cyrus... I'm about to turn it over to Zach because he has something that he's going to share with all of us that I'm very excited for. He he does not... He does not care at all. First, he call he tells her to join the pregnant wenches of Cyrus' support group. I was going to say, before he says anything, he... Oh, wait. Is this the part where... Maybe I jumped ahead. I'm really excited about the moment he stands. Oh, yeah. That'll... That's... I, I just wanted to get the oh, pregnant okay. wenches Oh, okay. I'm getting of ahead of myself. Sorry. I just wanted to get the I'm pregnant so wenches of Cyrus' support group in there because it's a ridiculous line. But after he says the thing about the support group, um, Prudence gives her a long little tirade about... Uh, why he needs a son and Cyrus is unimpressed and he stands up very deftly and as he does like so, throwing his napkin off mm-hmm, I think in one fluid motion he stands <laughs> yes. I believe he buttons one button on his shirt because Cyrus mm-hmm. always follows suit etiquette which is when sitting unbuttoned when standing one button buttoned he's very precise That's, about that it's a great character detail just that just goes to show the great work of Jake Mascal the actor right he's very fastidious Mm-hmm. Uh, and delivers his response, um, which, and which culminates. He says, he says, now it's my turn. And then he delivers his speech. About why she doesn't need her, why he doesn't care about the baby. And it culminates with him calling her insipid, lowborn, barely palatable poon that should go back to the disease infested shithole you crawled out of. <sighs> Love called, hopes dashed. I've got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. And that last bit, the bitch ain't one, is right in her face, like three inches from her face. Oh my god, it's so good. You're like a different person when you did that monologue. All of a sudden, Cyrus was on the other end of the call. I had some practice. Um uh, but it's it's a great moment. It's one of my favorite moments in the episode. Um, even though, obviously, this relationship is terrible, and he still says some gross things about her mouth in this scene. Um, yeah, he's way too specific about what parts of her body he likes. I've given this advice before. I give a lot of love advice on this mm-hmm. show, actually. Never break someone down into parts. It's just never a good idea. It's never going to come out the way you want it to sound, even if you want it to sound nice. I'm just going to throw that out there. Anywho, good advice. But but overall, (laughs) all the scenes of Cyrus with the Swan, this one especially, but also the Joan Collins one, are just highlights of the episode. They're really very fun, 
there's Cyrus being full blown Cyrus, and you can't you can't beat that on this show. No, I miss Simon this season, but this really is the season of Cyrus, and yeah. Cyrus is in full fine form this episode. So I, I think that's probably one of my favorite things about season two as we go through. We're going to have, you know, sometimes last season there were episodes where we, where we would be like, oh, I wish Cyrus was in this episode oh. more. But mm-hmm. I feel like the show sort of realized that he is the most important character by far and that he's mm-hmm. the best one by far. Yeah, and really pulled him forward. I mean, forward. it's just true. He is the king now, so I guess he has a little more uh, clout as well. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, then Liam and Eleanor have a little moment together, I believe. There's a lot of the two of them in this episode, which is nice because we've always enjoyed their sibling chemistry. Yeah. I just wrote Liam Eleanor moment and I can't remember the details. You know what? It's just more of them fighting over whether or not Jasper should be allowed into Liam's inner circle. So I think we can just push forward. There's Mm. another scene between Ted and his wife where she's sort of flirting with him, but also like negging him by talking about all the things he's doing right. wrong right. and she it the scene finishes with her saying i'm dead now honey i can do what i want and they right. pan over to a picture of ted his wife and ophelia during like happier times right so you get that it's his wife but honestly i really think that most people figured out that it was his ghost wife all along especially when liam comes into the room that she's in and she's just not there like she's she gone. disappeared yeah, she just... yeah and they make it clear that she didn't leave the room so it's it's pretty obvious especially because we've already seen the ghost of Simon and the mm-hmm. projection of living Simon's consciousness when yes, he was extra, unconscious. Yeah, yeah that's, that's... That still doesn't make a lot of sense. does not make any I, sense. I think the show posits that ghosts don't exist, but people have visions of the dead, like, based on their own subconscious thoughts and desires, because his wife is definitely just saying stuff to him that he knows. I really just need to get... A more detailed, more nuanced view of the Royals' view of the supernatural is what we really need. Well, next episode we'll get into that plenty because there's a curse. So stay tuned. Uh, I can't think of better incentive for coming back next episode. This ghost wife scene all takes place during the patented Royals closing montage with uh, on the nose music underneath. And Mm -hmm. uh, the next little number in that particular sequence is again Liam looking at the portrait of his father and he calls Ophelia whose number has been straight up disconnected. Uh, Although she moved countries. Yeah. You have different numbers. Like not one phone number works for England and America. So oh. maybe he shouldn't take this as personally as he does. Can I, I just say? I think that maybe she disconnected because he straight up dropped her off in New York without telling her he was going to do that. Uh, he did drop her off in another country. Like, he was dropping her off on a play date. Yeah. So there's that, yeah. Yeah, welcome to New York. Figure it out. I've got to go home. I hope you have all the stuff you need. I know you were planning on going to Rio, Rio or wherever. You probably brought, like, a bikini and a sundress, but... Yep. Oh, well, you're Good in New luck. York now. It's Figure it out. It's probably winter. Bye. Who knows? Time doesn't matter, <laughs> but whatever. That's fantastic. Um, uh, I still haven't gotten over that 100%. Yeah. Uh, Jasper tells Eleanor that he's Liam's bodyguard now, and he says this in his American accent, Mm -hmm. furthering my theory that whenever he's speaking in his American accent, he's telling the truth, and when he's ever speaking speaking in his British accent, he could be telling the truth or lying, but he's in character as the straight-laced bodyguard. Right. I mean, that makes sense. That's what I think. Yeah. Uh, to keep an eye out for that one. 
But so after Jasper leaves, yeah, we're not free. Right. We're never free mm-hmm. because Eleanor opens her door and Beck is there and he's like, I left her, meaning his wife, one assumes. Yes. That always works out. Yeah. It's a great move. Good luck with that. Just leave your wife without informing the other person who you're, th- you're theoretically leaving her for. Don't have to tell them about it beforehand. And a man leaving his wife for you, that always works out very well. So, um, And then just Darkly. showing up, not at your door, but in your house, in your bedroom. Man. Uh, well, Beck's, Beck's got all the moves. I, I don't know. She loves him so. I don't know why. He's so boring and irresponsible. I'll tell you why. Because he was like the first boy that she ever oh, that's right. had a crush on slash maybe the first boy she ever had sex with. Like he took her virginity. That may be, I think that's might be part of the reason uh-huh. why she's attached. Also, he's like a symbol of right. her dead brother who she was very close to. So I think all those issues are at play. It has nothing to do with his actual personality. Cause God knows there's nothing there. Uh, uh, Jasper then follows Cyrus. Who's wearing like a really generic disguise out of the palace. Like a fedora and like a trench coat, like he's in a gangster movie from the forties. Yeah, it's like spy versus spy. He's wearing a really wide brim fedora right. and a trench coat with like the collar turned up. It's pretty great. Yeah. I mean he looks amazing. Yeah. Well always, of course. Um and then uh the final beat of the episode is Helena. She's looking at a picture of her family, including Robert. In happier times, he's a child. It's not like adult Robert. We still don't know what he looks like. When something alerts her to the window, some light, and she steps out onto the balcony, and Joan Collins joins her and says something along the lines of... Like how some royals are defined by the wars that they're in, or some queens are defined by the wars that they're in, which it's... Can I just say, we never really reached the fever pitch of war in this season, let alone this episode. But Joan Collins is like... We killed one of theirs. They took two of us. Yeah. And I think we just need. Okay. This, it's all very cryptic. I think at this point, next time there's a Cyrus uh, duchy scene, we just need to act out the entire thing in character. I think that's what the audience really wants. Um, I mean, she is my role model. Mm-hmm. So that makes perfect sense yeah. to me. She's the Royals Gangi. She's the Lucille Bluth. But yeah, but the domino symbol is on the lawn in fire, in fire. Yeah. and they look at it from the balcony while they're having this conversation, and it's just like, again, really, this whole plot line, there's no other way to say it, it feels made up as they yeah. go along. Like, what could be dramatic and menacing for this episode? Uh, there's a fire, a fire in the shape of the thing on the lawn, but the symbol is just rectangles, it so it's is. not even... Particularly, a particularly recognizable, dramatic symbol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this is a super weak so link in the far, show. All, and it's gonna be a problem this season. All this secret organization has done is like pranks high schoolers would commit, basically. Like, yeah, they're just like holding up posters, yeah, and switching necklaces, yeah, and making like a, a fire on somebody's lawn. Like, okay, not that intimidating as a secret organization, um, but whatever. We're supposed to believe no. that they're very, very fearsome and that i'll say the season to premiere definitely tees up everything for the season though Mm -hmm. because domino is a huge part of this season whether you like it or not it is one of the main storylines um but that pretty much wraps up the episode that's we're out after the domino symbol we covered a lot of ground in this episode yeah so did Um, they of the show and the podcast yeah both 
So, but it's that time, and I'm very excited to be starting it for season two. What mm-hmm. was your favorite moment of the episode? I'm going to let you have uh, a big one and defer instead to both of the scenes where Cyrus is eating his swan, both the scene where Joan Collins gives him his, her little pep talk uh, about how he should be Attila the Hun, and the scene, maybe even more so, where he takes down Prudence hardcore. That is just a beautiful little bit of monologuing from, from Cyrus. World-class stuff. Just an exquisite little piece of misogyny. Mm -hmm. Just the most well-worded misogyny of all time. Even I couldn't get mad over it. Yeah, Uh, yeah, obviously, obviously, if you've listened to this episode at all, uh, then you know that my favorite moment was when Cyrus banged a gong, a giant gong, gong. and Liam and Eleanor appeared as if summoned by a genie. Mm -hmm. I don't know that anything will ever top that, but that one was definitely... Just a unique moment of television, so unexplained, and everyone in the scene looked so bored with what was happening, but I was fascinated. I I wish it were a recurring theme in this season, but... But then it wouldn't be the unique little gem of weirdness that it is. That would spoil it. Yeah. has to be that one beautiful moment. Yeah, we'll never see that gong again, I don't think. Probably not. Maybe in the background and we can reminisce. Oh, if we see it, I'm going to freak out. It's going to be a... What, what's the reverse of, like, saying something's a Chekhov's gun? Um, I don't... A callback? Like, I in Arrested Development with the hand chair? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Even though this show is a drama and not a comedy, I spend so much time comparing it to Arrested Development. Oh, rightfully so. It must so. be the family saga element Probably. of it. Probably, yeah, the legacy. And the fact that Joan Collins is basically playing Lucy. Of course, Luke. yeah. She's basically the same character. Um, But, yeah, I guess that wraps... That wraps yes, up. that takes us into season two. Thank you so much for joining mm-hmm. us. We're really excited. I think we have a lot of good stuff uh, in store for you guys this time around. And we will see you next week. See you next time. Bye. Okay, bye. Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter at Stage of Fools Pod or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Hollis.